Garland, did Windermere Earl do this to you? Garland? Odd name. Judy Garland? Was it Wyndham Earl? He was God, I suppose. Garland, where did he take you? The woods. Can you be more specific? They were loved. Dark. The king of Romania was unable to change. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch from the Idle Thumbs Network. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. This week we are discussing the 29th episode of Twin Peaks, Miss Twin Peaks. Yes, uh, Mark Frost and David Lynch would call it episode 28. The Germans would call it Miss Twin Peaks. We're calling it episode <laughs> 29. Uh, it was written by Barry Pullman, directed by Tim Hunter, two like, guys who have been on a lot of Peaks episodes. It mm-hmm. first aired June 10th, 1991. And it is the second to last episode. It aired back to back with the last episode, though. It's worth pointing out that both this episode and the final episode aired on the same night, uh, which must have been a weird set of a weird whiplash going from this to what is apparently it is a David Lynch madhouse in the next episode. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I was surprised by what this episode was. <laughs> Had you forgotten what it contained? Yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, more of what we've been seeing for the last several weeks. And I, I kind of, my my memory was that maybe there'd be more of a bridge between, sort of tonally between what we've been, what we've had for the last several episodes, you know, late season two, into the much more Lynchian take on Twin Peaks that we get in the finale, uh, which I guess you've never seen. I have not seen. I've yeah, only seen Firewalk with um, in, in a lot of ways, this is then basically the finale of, or the culmination of the Peyton, of, of Harley, this stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's funny because we t- we talk about that about this like, I mean, this is the Peyton and Engels era where they're effectively yeah. the showrunners. They write almost everything, um, and I, I guess like it's it's easy to. Like I guess to blame what Twin Peaks is on those guys at this point, but I think that that's also a simplification and kind of an unfair. I'm sure that's the case because they are running it and they're doing a mixed to bad job at times of running it, but at the same time they also inherited someone else's show that was already mm-hmm. signed for yeah. a season. Yep, a show that whose reason for being had kind of been prematurely, uh, you know, exe- like closed out. Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, it seems like the most. Some of the most extreme versions of the things that have been going on in the Peyton and Engels era of Twin Peaks are mm-hmm. are present or maybe just in this episode. Right. So on this episode... Oh, yeah. What happens this week? Cooper connects some lore dots. Catherine finds a key. Andy gets some good news. Annie is crowned Miss Twin Peaks. And Wyndham Earl reveals his favorite emotional state. That's true. He does. Mm-hmm. Do you have a preferred order of talking about this stuff? Um, the order that I have it, uh, my notes are in, starts with Windermerl and Leo. and Okay, and the way stuff. the episode starts. Yeah, right, exactly. Another actual, in my opinion, strong Windermerl moment is his first moment in this episode. because Just because the way that he looks, although it's goofy, when he has like the weird blacked out teeth and eyes and stuff, 
and like lightened face color. Yeah, it was, un- yeah. It was unexpected <laughs> to me and just like the way it was lit, I couldn't quite tell what was going on. It was just actually right. kind of creepy. I actually didn't realize that he looked as weird as he did. And after the episode, Sarah was like, man, Wyndham Earl looked creepy in this episode. And, and, and I'm like, what are you talking about? He looked like the guy. And if I only noticed it in that one shot. Was he like that the whole show? The way that she described it, he kind of almost got it. It sort of creeped in a little bit hmm. um, just for those really early shots. Um, I don't know how like yeah he had like black teeth and blacked out eyes and stuff but the show didn't say anything about it or anything like he just sort of like revealed which is kind of what makes it creepy I guess is that it's just a subtle visual touch that is unremarked upon yeah I liked that quite a lot actually but um, I guess we'll work our way through it but uh, I actually also really liked Wyndham Earl dressed as the log lady and I feel really guilty for it but Mm -hmm. but whatever we'll get there I guess yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) That was that was yeah something. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that uh, I, I, the Cooper and Winnemarle stuff. You could you could argue some of this goes in one kind of collection of stuff versus another. But just since we're talking about Winnemarle right now, him overhearing Cooper and Truman talking about Bob and the Black Lodge was like the most lore, like the most Inception like lore moment this show has had to date, where. Cooper, it's like just going through rapid fire. Of course, this means sure, this. Sure, you know what? I this. think that the Black Lodge is the evil that you mentioned in the woods. I think the Black Lodge is Bob's gateway into this world. Mm-hmm. Bob is from the Black Lodge. Like, right? Yep. It's it's crazy. All and the then, pieces are falling into place, Chris. Yeah, and then and then Earl on the other end of the bug. You know, Eureka, like, just freaking out about how much this all makes sense. And he goes, Eureka, it's fear, Leo. My favorite emotional state. Like, <laughs> as though he's got a, a list. And, man, good thing it was this one. I know. Good thing it turned well, out to be this one. That's good news for Wyndham Earl. What if it had been uncertainty? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Anxiety. Yeah, it feels like... Ambivalence. Th- they really want... Major Briggs's favorite emotion to be love, and Cooper's, right? I mean, yeah, but as the as the sort of like the two forces that are pulling or pushing Cooper in various directions, it seems like they've had this idea that it's Major Briggs yeah, that's and true. yeah, um, and Earl and Earl, but it it's never quite worked. Oh, none of this stuff has quite worked. So mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's all ridiculous. Was this our first sort of factual, concrete confirmation? That Wyndham Earl killed Carolyn? If it wasn't, it was, I mean, it probably was, but it also. Because they played that in total, like, Bond villain. I haven't <laughs> felt this good since I slipped my wife's throat or whatever Yeah, since says. I punctured since Carolyn's I punctured aorta. aorta. Yeah, just yeah. The, yeah, the most sort of expository way to, to confirm this detail that we all basically knew. They're like, yeah, Wyndham Earl as cheeser Hannibal Lecter, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I like that his we- – I mean, it's ridiculous, but I like that his way of torturing Leo is through tying a like an improvised cage of spiders to a pulley system counterbalanced by his tooth. I know. That was pretty – I mean, cause, because so the thing that I guess I liked about it was that – I mean, if this is the version of Twin Peaks we're in, you know, so be it. Um, but he, you know, he gives this whole – they do the thing that they do a lot with Leo and Wyndham Earl, which is to keep the camera – 
on Windermere's face as he delivers the threatening things so you don't see what right. his threat is in is in reference to. And then we 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 cut to Leo or we pan to Leo, I don't remember. And uh and he's got a thing tied to his tooth and it's like, oh man, is he just like tied to the walls? You can have to choose between his tooth and his right freedom. and then the camera and pans up you're like there's an eye slowly hole slowly another yeah. eye hole yeah a oh spiders <laughs> it's a huge box of spiders yeah it <laughs> at this point i i'm just kind of i'm not i don't like it but it's just like i'm enjoying watching that stuff just because it's completely ludicrous yep but yep <laughs> but it is yep like how does one Merle have time to like concoct the spider cage trap. Maybe he had it ready to go. That was what was <laughs> contingency in the, plan four. The spiders were presumably in the like paper bag that he had, right? He must have gone out and collected them somewhere. Maybe he bought them at a pet store. Yeah, maybe he just bought them at a pet store for some like what eats? Does anything eat spiders? Lizards? I don't but they're know. like tarantulas. Like they're just. That's, oh, that's he just, true. You he went, to, just an, he went to Twin Peaks' exotic you're just, like, pet store. The weird fifth grader who's really stoked about how he owns a tarantula, right? Yeah. Wyndham Earl is the most stoked fifth grader. That's true. That's true. He's been waiting, waiting until he could finally live that life. Did Leo try to unlock himself at the beginning of the episode or did he just let Briggs go and say, save Shelly and then just like eat the key or something? Maybe it's a different key. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember what the implication of that was. Um, but yeah, he gets, his, he gets to be a noble guy there. Good for Leo. He gets to be a noble guy so that he can then put a bar of soap in a sock and beat Shelly up for That's, leaving yeah, him when, when she comes home. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, do you want to talk about the sort of Cooper side of this, which is man? It's basically the rest of the episode is that, right? I guess there's a couple other things. Yeah, there's, there. There, are a few, there are a few other things. Uh, yes. I don't know. I mean, I guess we already talked about all the – I guess we – Talked sufficiently about Cooper and his Black Lodge realizations already. Um, he and Annie finally consummate they, their love. They finally peel Which I feel like is a phrase that, that, that is appropriate for these yeah, characters. Yeah, I, I would describe it as their ex- peeling each other's clothes off, but whatever. Yeah. Well, um, they have this like crazy extended forest metaphor. Like It just keeps going, your forest is beautiful and peaceful. Part of it's been damaged. I've tried to replant it. Like just oh, oh that that man. conversation ends with we're not talking about trees anymore. Right. Yeah. Good. Oh, okay. Good. It just you know to make sure that it that you're that you're clear mm-hmm. that it's that it was an analogy and so not there, a speech. The she. Uh, I don't remember even which one this was. I guess it was Cooper. He says, "I don't want to talk about trees anymore." Yeah. All I know is I want to make love with you. That's the exact same usage that Audrey used last episode with wheeler yes this like make love with as opposed to make love to which must just be someone on the writing staffs like maybe or maybe that was more common in 1991 i don't know i I just noticed that because it was an unusual i don't usually hear that that construction i was really happy that this stuff opened actually with cooper talking to diane into the tape recorder because it actually felt Mm. nice Mm -hmm. but uh yeah yeah it's true it's the weird, the just the vestiges of classic Twin Peaks that always that have sort of managed to stay over the show for the duration right. are always so welcome when they yep. show up. Definitely. But, um, I mean, there's there's more stuff that happens later in the episode in terms of Andy like pointing stuff out about the the 
thing and like that leading to this astrological connection about January and June with Jupiter and Saturn and like, yeah, you they, know, Cooper realizes Miss Twin Peaks is related, but I, they break the stuff bug, is so plot heavy that I'm yep. not really sure like what there is to say. It's just kind of details. Yeah. It's all, it's all plot, 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 plot. Yeah. But it's, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that. I, I like the, I like that Andy cracked the cracked the. Yeah, the, that was a pretty classic, stuff. pretty classic thing. Yeah. For Andy to well, Andy also inadvertently revealed the bug, the Earl yes. bug. Yeah. He revealed the he he revealed the Earl bug to his own detriment though because all he wanted to say the entire episode was it's a map. Right. I mean that was a little that was a little much sort of just sitcom style. Like, person knows the thing the whole time, but it's just miscommunication, can't get the information out. Yep. I don't know. Anyway, Miss Twin Peaks. The title of this week's episode. Mm-hmm. What a strange thing this was. That, like, this is the big outrageous dance that they do. That felt so weird for Miss, being in Twin Peaks. Miss Twin Peaks was awkward across the board and kind of emblematic of a lot of the sort of... The missteps and really sort of problematic elements and also in some ways the charm i think of the back half of twin peaks like it mm-hmm. all kind of is embodied in this where you see all of these all of the women of twin peaks who are often the like strongest and most interesting and most human characters of the show lined up in just like shitty like 80s swimsuit underpants doing right. a dance number yeah. and being berated by this guy mm-hmm. and like it was also just kind of weirdly exploitative in and of itself without the fact that like it feels like they sort of tried to like lampshade it by having the the dance conductor be a sleazer but then we still just are subjected to like over a minute Mm -hmm. of just like dance number and like all of the actresses of twin peaks who are all just really attractive people generally doing like dance kicks and flashing their butts and like it's just like what is going on with this Mm -hmm. it was it was and then in the very front of it, though, was Lucy and the actress who plays Lucy looking like she just has zero yeah. interest in this fucking <laughs> yeah. garbage yeah. Being, being what she's yep. being subjected to, which fits with the character. Yeah, definitely. But it felt like it pushed 10% over to me, just the look on her face, even like in background shots and stuff. Mm-hmm. But So I, actually, you know what, since this, since this is the, the second, this is the penultimate episode and the, the, the last one, you know, before frost and lynch return in full force um i i think it's worth mentioning what you just said about the kind of what's wrong the sort of like problems and charm of the the latter half of this season i think there's something worth talking about especially with respect to the charm part because i think that that the difference between the way this show is run in the the latter half of season two and the way the show is run in the best parts of season one and early <coughs> season two is that this, the, 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 the kind of um, section of Twin Peaks that we're in now effectively is just a television show. You know, I mean, it's like it's set in, in Twin Peaks and it's got all these characters that we knew from before. But the ways that it that it creates suspense and the ways that it creates plotting and the ways that it portrays characters is basically network television like you know in a way that i think twin peaks caught on in the first place because the first 
season wasn't like that. I mean, the first season felt like something, even now it has a tone and a sort of veneer over it and a like underpinning that feels very particular, you know, this combination of, of, um, kind of humor and, but something very sinister and a very like unspoken, but very strong connective tissue running through the whole thing. Um, and I think that that, that, you know, then and now, uh, is still not necessarily a given on television, especially network television. Um, and I think what happens in these, in the, the latter parts of season two is that the tools, like the basic tools being used to construct this narrative and to portray these characters are basically just like stuff you do on TV. And there are definitely, there are absolutely inspired moments when it comes to character interactions and, you know, framing of shots and interesting tonal choices that definitely throughout, you know, the whole series, we, we get those, right. but there, there isn't that, that sense that like fundamentally the thing driving this right. is something it's, inspired and unique and like never before seen. We're now in kind of television land and the, the Miss Twin Peaks is sort of the apotheosis of that, of right. Just like singing, dancing, razzle dazzle, like pretty ladies, you know, mm-hmm. showing off their legs. Like it's, it's, it's not afraid to be way more quirky and absurd, I think, than what is often on television. Yes. But it does all of those things. No, but it does all of those things inside of, inside of the box that is a television show. Whereas before, I think the thing that was interesting was that that was flipped and that Twin Peaks felt entirely outside of that box, but was very aware of its format. Yes. That's exactly correct. Right. Yeah. So the earlier, the, the earlier formula is taking the sort of surface level, structure of a television show, you know, sort of soap opera like format of serial uh narrative and kind of small town characters all bouncing off each other in quirky ways, but that is like latticed on top of this very unique sort of creative vision. Mm-hmm. And that and you're right that it just they flip that yeah, in it, the, in the second half. It feels like it's now a sh- like a TV show that is trying to like push as far out of its box as it can, instead of just ignoring that the box exists other Mm -hmm. than the fact that it's literally coming to you through the literal box of your television set, which I think is, and it's, it's, it's so different. Yeah. It's not without its charms and without its good moments, but it is, feels like a different Mm -hmm. show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's something that there's the charm part. I think I could imagine. And I think this was probably the case actually, when I watched the show the first time there is, you know, there's a certain level of just kind of comfort with this style of, of television, you know, you've got your characters that you've known forever and they're just kind of doing stuff and you've got the mystery with the black lodge and oh man, there's like Cooper's figuring out parts of it every week. And so there's always new kind of just like plot and lore details to sort of just mindlessly chew on if you want, if you want. And I think that when I first watched the show, I probably slipped into that mode a lot more easily. And I, maybe the reason I didn't as much now is because we've been, in discussing it in such great and we've been drip feeding week. it to ourselves too. That, you, that's you, true. You I probably just be like, yes. oh, this that's was the true. day of my life where I found out who the killer of Laura Palmer was, and Cooper met Annie. Like, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All of that stuff does not happen. No, it's like, true. When I watched over- the show the first time, I definitely watched it the way that I would watch a show now if we weren't doing a podcast, which is when I have time, I watch a whole bunch. Just of watch it. as much of it until <laughs> you're done with it, and then yeah. come back to it again. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's still clear that even though the show has a lot of a lot of missteps and a lot of sort of tone deaf stuff, probably in part because it's being run by people who did not 
create it and who maybe didn't ever entirely understand it or who had their own interests, it still feels very much like it's being run by people who do really get a huge, like get a huge amount of enjoyment out of yeah. running the show. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. feel, I mean, it's you hear after the fact that like Kyle McLaughlin was not into where right. Twin Peaks was at this point, And I'm sure some of the other cast was, but it still feels like the, the main performers are doing a really good job and you can't really, sometimes you can feel a TV show's like self contempt being worn on its sleeve in its, in its later days. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh man. Sorry, this is a, t- a quick distraction. But no, no, go ahead. Do you do you remember the Rob Lowe TV show that was the follow up? Like that was sort of supposed to be like his follow up to his role on The West Wing. No. Oh, uh, there was there was a show that was a Rob Lowe led show, and man, I don't remember the, the. It wasn't actually a spinoff, was it? It was. No, no, no. Yeah. It was just like because I think he felt that he had been sort of promised a lead on The West Wing, but then it turned out that uh, Martin Sheen was not going to be a guest star. <laughs> he was just on the show all the time, and it was just about you know like. Um, but he was, he was on this show whose name I cannot remember. Um, but I, I heard an interview with him on NPR where he talked about that show and how it got, it got canceled a few episodes in, uh-huh. but they were still on the hook contractually to do the rest of the season. Uh, so the season ended up, it started off as him just being like a political maneuvering, like fast talking sort of, you know, political drama feels like it comes from the book of Sorkin stuff but the final episode like by the end of it they just turn him into a serial killer and it ends up with him like killing his best friend and then like just jumping out of a building or something because oh they because they were like oh no one's ever gonna watch this so I <laughs> was it the lion's den I think so man I don't remember the name of the show it probably was that it was just um but that is the, like when I heard that interview with him it was on some NPR show and it was just the most extreme version of people being trapped inside of a television production that they're contractually obligated to finish and have no interest in doing. So they like, just go just burn all the bridges and it just ends with, Oh, I was a serial killer the whole time. And that's what the show is about. And it's, he said that they told the network that and they're like, whatever. We, I mean, you have to make this because maybe we're going to bundle <laughs> it into a TV movie and sell overseas or right, something. Yeah. Um, and I've heard people say, I mean, we can talk about this more next week, but I've heard people say that about what David Lynch did with the last episode of twin peaks. But I that does not feel to me like what actually goes on. I think we should talk about that next week or during the Firewalk With Me episode. But I think people's perception of David Lynch's relationship to Twin Peaks does not often feel accurate to to it. Like yeah. I think – but sorry. I didn't mean to completely no, d- no, dive fine. off into, yeah, sure. into madness. No, no. That's fine. I think we probably said all we need to say about that. I mean, we've, you know, we've – We've talked about that before, so we kind of just, I think, centralized, consolidated a lot of our thoughts. Yeah. Um, so, there, I mean, there, there are a few other kind of just sm- much smaller threads here. There's Nadine, for example. Uh, okay, this is... I- <laughs> Nadine stuff I really liked only because those wrestling photos are oh, yeah, amazing. Fantastic. Those are so good. Yeah. Like her pride about that stuff too. So just like, good. But the shots are great of that actress just flipping people, everyone wearing yep. wrestling gear. Like the, the uh-huh. quality of the photos just look like crappy, like high school newspaper sports photographs. Yep. And yeah, she's so, so proud of that stuff. And then she says that like they start to have this divorce conversation and then she says, I guess it all started when I noticed Mike's, Mike's buns, buns in, in the, the hall at school. Oh, cool. I love that. Yeah. Because, you know, he said, what, you know, how did it, how did it get, how did it start with Mike? And yeah, and her answer, just amazing. So good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And then, yeah, when Ed says that he and Norm are getting married and he 
she just crushes Mike's hand, mm-hmm. which like it was a it was it was one of those scenes that is goofy and has some some dumb things in it. But at this point, like I remember early on in, in when we were doing this podcast, being like, oh. Norma's going to get super strength and she's going to have amnesia and there's going to be all those, or Nadine, sorry, Norma. What if Norma had super strength? Um, Norma versus Nadine. <laughs> ultimate wrestling match. Twin Peaks high. Um, no, I remember all that stuff being when Nadine breaks the rowing machine and all those yeah. things early on and going, oh, geez. But it honestly fits in with this this era of Twin Peaks better than a lot of the stuff that was added in later does to me. Like yeah, this, that's true. Like, I... I've actually just kind of been happy watching the actress just like really enjoy being in that role. The goofy, complete goofiness of her and Mike becoming an actual like mm-hmm. happy couple. Like it's all actually been better executed yep. than like the stuff that is invented to try to bring that level of goofiness up into what the show's yeah. about all the time. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Like I agree. But uh what a funny what a funny uh kind of detail though it to to throw in in the i mean for her to decide that she and mike are getting married in the second to last episode this is such i mean well, she said she only said mike and i are getting married because no, she's, i know that but i assume she's going to try and go through with it i just can't remember that's what's so funny about watching this watching this again is that i honestly my memories of the show towards the beginning were so strong and have sort of gotten increasingly less strong right and all the stuff i remember from the last episode is is just the core, you know, core thread stuff. Right. You know, I don't remember, for example, if they end up getting married or not or whatever. <laughs> I imagine even if they're not in next week's episode that they get married and are happy forever. That's, that's going to be my assumption. That's our canonical uh, yes. read on this. We'll um, find out in Twin Peaks 2016. Yep. So there's Catherine and Andrew Packard and Pete, like, opening, bo- shooting a box. Yeah. The thing I mainly liked about this. I think I really liked about this. Oh, so Pete's, they, Pete's they, vice grip fact? Uh, no, what was that? Oh, just, God, what are these? Just nothing. The scene just opens. Oh, not a fact, but where he knows the exact make and model of the vice yeah, grip. Yeah, where he's like, I, I didn't think this would be too much for the cramjack all-duty yeah. vice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. that was really good. Uh, my favorite thing was when they open it, when they get it open and they find the key. And, you know, where, where are they going to hide this key? And Catherine goes, how about here? In the cake saver. In the cake saver. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I looked that up and that's what that's called. It's called a cake saver. Yeah. And and just like the way that she sort of declares it in that it, it just it very much reminded me of it was from the same kind of school of character moments as Wyndham Earl saying, Ah, fear, my favorite emotional state, or um I haven't felt this good since I punctured Carolyn's aorta. Just where shall we hide this key in plain sight for all to see? How about here in the cake saver? I mean, just the sort of like chewing the scenery, like theatrical thing cracks me up. Yeah, this is an episode of declarations for sure. Mm-hmm. Also, um, just reminded me just how great uh, Piper Laurie is as Catherine. Yep. Um, she has a way of selling that stuff in this sort of imperious uh, kind of floating above things way where her face is just perfect. There was, there was a, at least one close shot of her face this episode and she is just, she just has an incredible face that she can put uh, incredible expressions on. And it's a bummer that, that her character descended into weird, like 
slave owner for a second yeah, just like in exploitative this season. because slaver yeah. yeah because when she's yeah. because when she's when Catherine is good she's amazing and even when she delivers a kind of weird cheesy line like that i love it like she's she you know there are some characters who can some characters and actors who can who can't pull off the kind of slightly stilted uh, yeah, no, speech. she just and there eats are some it up. who can, who can just knock it, it out of the fucking She savors park. it, Chris. Yes, she, she definitely savors it, and I love it. She savors that savor. Mm-hmm. Yep. That cake savor. Andy and Lucy and Dick. Um, that's the last thing that I have in terms of my, my plot threads. Oh, here. there's also... Um, it's. I guess we can... Do you want to just talk about Miss Twin Peaks events as a whole? Because there's oh, a bunch sure. of stuff inside that. Yeah, 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 go ahead. Well, we can talk. Let's get Andy. Well, I guess Andy, I really Andy Lucy, and Dick is all sort of contained in that. I guess I, it's it's dumb, but just as a viewer who likes these characters, especially the classic characters, I was I was glad that this that this arc, which has been going on for fucking ever, it's been like, going on since like episode seven, the, three, four, five. Some it's like got to be one of the long. It's got to be maybe because Lucy longest. just suddenly turning cold towards Andy happened like three episodes into the show, right? And I liked it at the end of this whole arc. She's like, you know, I've decided the father's going to be Andy, and Dick Tremaine was like, okay, great, good, yeah. walks away, and Andy's just like, I'm so wow. happy. Like, wow, I'm glad that this stupid dramatic arc that yeah. they were willing to end it by just saying, you know what, it's Andy, and then having Dick yeah. be like. Peace out. Yep. Yeah. De- no, definitely. I agree. And it, it really, I mean, I, this has got to be the longest running sort of consistent. This has been, this was like the soap opera germ to start all soap opera germs. Like mm-hmm. who is the father mm-hmm. of Lucy's there child? Have been no, there have been yeah. basically no huge twists in it either. Right. It's just, this has kept happening. They find out new things about it. Lucy still just has to make a decision and she eventually does. Yep. And, and that's, it's crazy. It's so unlike the rest of this show where things get sort of wrapped up but then one up themselves in a crazy way because they need to keep dragging it out nope this has just been there the whole I also, time i also actually liked that andy was like you know i'm like i'm so glad i'm so proud i promise i'll be a great father but i have to go see agent cooper about yep. something and he leaves it yeah. was cheesy that that yeah. that uh she lucy says man at the end of that but whatever i, I was glad that oh, andy was like that. That was totally fine. this is awesome some horrible shit's going down i'll be back yeah yep. um the other thing that happened in the midst of miss twin peak stuff was donna trying to talk to Ben Horn about who right. her father was. Yep, yep. And that, speaking of just soap opera threads where whatever, but I, I thought that the actor who plays Ben Horn, whose name I can never remember forever. Yeah, I can't either. I thought he actually did a very good job in that I scene. I agree. I think he's... Where I, he was just like, clearly, whether he's Donna's father or not, obviously the situation for him is in, way more complicated than it mm-hmm. is for Donna because he's been there for the duration of this mm-hmm. history with this family. And as cheesy and garbage as this is, just his hesitance to discuss it and his like immediate response, oh, yeah. no, of, like he's been great let's talk about this, this as a family, like yeah. whatever, we should yeah. all get together. And she was just like, "You're my father, aren't mm-hmm. you?" I mean, she like Laura Flynn Boyle did a good job with with like her performance in that role, but in that moment, like just she got all mm-hmm. emotional and left. But I liked that for like whether or not it's well considered as far as the re- the reality of like. Who knows what anyone else would have done, but I like in this moment, given everything we know about Ben Horn, that this stuff actually like he was actually really human in that moment when I, confronted I, with that. I, I totally that agree. Good. I think that's actually been one of the one of these uh, six sort of character newly introduced 
character successes in in this sort of period of Twin like Peaks. Post Laura Palmer, <clears throat> yeah. Ben Horns. Like yeah. some of it has been stupid, but some of it has actually been really good. Yeah, I think that so the 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 uh for most of the series, Ben Horn, even though he obviously wasn't like connected to, to Laura Palmer's death direct in, in, in as directly as he was suspected of being for a while, um he was, you know, kind of the a, a villain role in the sense that right. he is the kind of ultra capitalist uh ruthless you know mogul who 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 also uh, effectively bought and sold Laura exactly right yeah. um and the it's such a classic thing for that archetype to go through the moment of redemption and then you, the result of which is usually either they're genuinely reformed and are a model citizen or they it was a ruse um and they they they're uh Good intentions were just a front for some even more diabolical thing they're going to do, which is definitely what you you know where we are intended to believe about the save the pine weasel the stuff, pine weasel thing, and like that still may be in fact be the case. I you know like whatever, well, but the thing that the thing that I that, that I think is such a success about it is that there is clearly enough of it that is completely genuine, and then the show tests it not with some like what you would expect, which would be a, an, a, a capitalistic kind of bait, you know, an opportunity to make more money if he compromises his new newfound morals or some like revelation, he's going to be found out. And now he has to sort of do something. It's, it's uh, the, the thing that he, that his new kind of ideals are tested by is something incredibly small scale and incredibly human and only has relevance to basically these three people and has nothing to do with the kind of canvas of twin peaks that his ambitions are usually painted onto. Right. Um, it's something very small that affects him more than any of this other stuff could. And I think that he has done, he, all three of the actors involved in, in that subplot have done an incredible job uh, really bringing out how meaningful it is. And we've really learned basically nothing about it. I mean, as you say, like the, the clear potential implication is Ben Horn is uh, is Donna's father, and like that in itself is kind of a a played out thing, right? Like, oh, right. it's actually, but just just but, the specter of it. Is, it yeah. But, yeah, they're all treating it with the actual weight and complexity that it should that it would be in life. I mean, I think, yeah, you know, it's hey, really good. It also it just it was funny, and I kind of want to talk about this a little more in a second. That Laura Palmer was name checked this episode for the first time in a long yeah. time, but I feel like Ben yeah, Horn's Ben Horn's storyline is one of the only ones that feels like it's an actual arc. It's like a direct result of the sort of spin out of the resolution mm. of Laura Palmer's murder, and it's also one of the only ones that feels like remotely justified. All of the Civil War general stuff, I does not like. Yeah, that's goofy. Had that been like, like, a, one, like episode. A, a one episode, like yeah. a dalliance, it would be fine. But whatever. But just his whole like. We're in a place right now where it would be entirely in Ben Horn's character for the next episode. I don't, I don't know what happens, or just whatever, or, or whatever, whatever his trajectory is. To if the Pine Weasel stuff gets any amount of like, uh, if it, you know, if it gains any ground, and he thinks that he's got an angle for him to immediately start basically lighting cigars with hundred dollar bills again and like right. prowling around yeah. his office. But at the same time, we will know because of all the stuff that he's been through after being charged with being Laura Palmer's killer and the connection that he clearly does have to that character 
he'll be a changed person by the end of this show because of the yes. events of the first half of it in a way that I don't think anyone else really will be. Like, it feels like Donna had the potential to, but the only way that, this, that, that any change in Donna is actually going to happen now is because of this arc and not because of the fallout from Laura's mm-hmm. murder. And it's, it's strange that they didn't carry that with anyone else. And it feels like with Ben Horn, in some ways, it feels like it almost started off as like an exaggerated joke and them feeling like, oh, Ben Horn's the only guy like this we have left now that Leland's not in the show, so let's give him mm-hmm. all the wacky stuff. But like it's turned into some really like you said, some really, really good stuff. Yeah, definitely. But it definitely it feels like the only real link to the fallout from Laura that is that yeah, he, is earned or yeah. present on the I show. I think that's anymore. a good point in that he's the only character who seems, for whatever reason, as though he is still on a daily basis suffering from the reverberations of that. Yeah, he's still carrying and Obviously, it. this this relates to his own personal situation that happened, you know, decades before the Laura Palmer thing. But nonetheless, that was what opened that it surfaced wound all of this. newly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and it is odd that the other characters of the show have kind of just been tromping along, either, like, in their own separate... You know, Donna for a long time had that whole thing with the... Uh, what's his name? James and, and you know, the most of the... And, you know, there's... Nadine and Ed and Norma have their whole weird thing. Most of these characters have their own stuff going on that's kind of just on a totally different track. Yep. And then Cooper is is still plot-wise in the fallout of all of this, but he's just tromping along. Emotionally, like, Cooper just is completely disconnected from right. any of his concerns yeah. over that stuff. Exactly, It's yes. just like yeah. – and that's, I think, maybe the reason that this show doesn't actually – track as well as it should in the later part of it it just doesn't I mean it really tells you why they it's it really demonstrates what a mistake it was for the studio to push the Laura Palmer reveal when they did because it that that's the point at which you need there to be a season break so you can put as much time as you need in the in world between yep. that event and the next thing that happens in the show because it's really difficult in a weekly television show to be like the the biggest most climactic thing that's happened in this town like maybe ever has happened, but we still have to just keep making a show every week, so the right. characters can't. You're not gonna have your characters sink into a depression for a month, like right. Obviously, Although it's you. You could have. I mean, I'm not saying they couldn't have couldn't have handled it any better yeah. than they did. I'm just saying that that clearly did not make it any easier. Right. Because it it felt like they. It it also just does in some ways feel like they did a bad version of it, where they tried to sort of have Cooper spin out and not like and you know become untethered for a while, but it was just about the wrong things yeah right um and i guess this is where i'm going to accidentally jump too far into the into hypothetical pitch town but um i thought it was interesting that norma well no it's, it's actually annie who name who name checks laura which i think makes sense because she's like everyone else just doesn't talk about it where norma says maybe this year right miss one peaks is maybe more important than mm-hmm. than uh other years and annie's like oh because of laura palmer because mm-hmm. it's just like she's a person who heard about it in the news and moved to town yeah i kind of like that actually I, I did i did as well the thing that i actually it's it's interesting that they knew that this was the second to last episode of twin peaks and they mm-hmm. have and this is like the thing that I'm going to talk about is is so on its nose as to be bad, but it's surprising as all hell to me that they crown someone Miss Twin Peaks who is then immediately abducted and presumably is going to just be killed out in the woods. Right, right. And they didn't do anything at all to relate that to the foundation of the show. Like, mm-hmm. the thing that we've been seeing in the... Like, this... like. I don't know if they had to, but I think that they probably actually had to. <laughs> uh, 
like you don't want to be so symmetrically clean, but it is it feels like just a surprising a surprising missed opportunity to at least add some feeling of intentionality and of some feeling of conclusion to Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they just put the stupid tiara on Annie's head at the end right before the lights go out? Sure, like, yeah. I mean that's probably it's probably too extreme, but it feels like there's nothing. It feels like they weren't it feels I'm not saying that I want some cheesy perfect symmetrical response, yeah. but it feels like there's a lack of self-awareness to the point of negligence that they have like all of the all of the ways that Twin Peaks has been about sort of or not not been about, but the way that Twin Peaks has had undercurrents of sort of the things that can happen to women in mm-hmm. just because of the way that mm-hmm. just so, everything. And like but then they have this beauty pageant and they have this I don't know, it just it feels like they have all these pieces here that are just now because there's nothing said about them, just these yeah, so crappy I'm, I'm hollow amb- reflections of of earlier thematic elements of Twin Peaks. I'm ambivalent about your about what you say because on the one hand, I I see where you're coming from, for sure. But on the other hand, I part of me thinks that if there had been more general restraint in the latter half of this season, we by comparison, we would just see this as a really striking parallel, and you wouldn't right. need something to call it out because you know I. I it's maybe just in comparison to how like heavily they're banging on a lot of the other stuff going on in the show, particularly with, with Cooper and the sort of darkness elements, that stuff, that stuff is just reinforced so heavily constantly every yep. single episode that I think it's mainly only by comparison that you feel like this parallel wasn't stated enough because you know, it's a big crazy scene and lights are flashing and right. But it's, it's, it's all coming at it from basically from such a completely different place that it just feels like it's using all I, of the imagery and I all know. of the I meaning, just think, but or I just, all of the all of just the the, the representation, mm-hmm. but with so little connection to any of it. You're, you're probably right though that had had everything that came before had the last like twelve episodes mm-hmm. been been more subtle and had been more tonally in line with what earlier Twin Peaks was. On paper, the plot events of this episode, I think that would speak have the potential to just themselves. be yeah. yeah. Instead, yeah. instead though, it feels like someone who hadn't watched the f- entire first half of Twin Peaks was handed the plot outline that ends with a new girl comes to town, becomes crowned Miss Twin Peaks, is abducted and taken out into the woods. Right. And just doesn't... Like, the show should have been building to this in any possible way other than I have four cards of the queens mm-hmm. of Twin Peaks with faces yeah. on them. Yeah, you know? although this is... this Yeah, so sure. Like, I'm, I'm still mixed on, on this a little bit, but I totally take your point. Uh, but just to, to sort of cap that discussion off and, and talk about something much less weighty, um, first, I have to say, when, for, for whatever reason, in this episode, when we get the shot of, um, I guess it was Shelly, Shelly's queen card, right? Mm-hmm. Or was it Annie's? I don't know. I guess it was Shelly's. You see what, Leo looking at Shelly's. Yeah, Le- that's right. Okay, that's what it was. In. It was yeah. Leo looking at Shelly's queen card. That shot was held for so long and, you know, just given the, the context of everything surrounding it, it was actually really creepy and emotionally effective for me this yeah, time. No, that's... I don't know why. This 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 one, they, 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 it's the way they framed it and the, the length that they held the shot, it really became kind of poignant to me, uh, which is crazy because Leo is like this total asshole who you would know – no one has any desire for him to obviously reunite with Shelley. I mean, least of all her. 
Um, so it wasn't that it wasn't the sort of like, it wasn't from Leo's standpoint that I, that I felt that, you know, Mm -hmm. on behalf of him, there was just something about like the framing of her face in the, in the hole that, you know, like that, that was shot in a way that really hit home. I don't know. It was interesting. Before we entirely move off this, I just, I feel like I didn't explain myself well. So I'm going to say, I'm sorry that I didn't explain myself well. (laughs) I'm not trying to advocate for like some sort of perfect symmetry, like fan service thing. I know. I I just, I think think just, I know what you mean already. Yeah. The things that the show is dealing with from a, from a, it fails to unpack a bunch of incredibly potent meaning inside of what it's doing. And it just, it, 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 it is, is bothersome to me, I guess, because it feels like it's just so close, but but so far away. Anyway, I, I, I totally, I understand what you're saying for sure. Um, all right. Well, that's, that's that, I guess for that episode, right? Do you want to do some reader mail? Yes. All right. Um, okay. Um, we have two different emails from Tom Kidd and, um, they're both kind of general things. And so I'm going to read them both now, actually, because next week is the finale. And I, I, I hope we'll have more specific things to talk about then. So here, here's Tom Kidd writing, uh, about the sad tale of Twin Peaks on home video. He writes, Twin Peaks did a real rough road on home formats. Back when Twin Peaks was on the air, TV shows on home video were a rare thing, both due to business and technological and logistical reasons. Besides the fact that people weren't into maintaining collections of movies on VHS like they do today with DVD, which is a whole different topic that has a lot to do with rental pricing, TV shows on VHS were a space hassle. The way magnetic analog tape worked, slower speeds resulted in poorer recording quality but a larger amount of recording space. A standard T120 tape held two hours in the highest quality setting, which gave the best picture quality, so that's what most commercial releases used. For an hour-long show like Twin Peaks, this meant you could get about two episodes on a tape. An hour-long show is commercials, of course, but unless it clocked in at 40 minutes or so, two per tape was the max you could do. Twin Peaks had 30 episodes, so this meant an entire run of the show on VHSSP would be 15 VHS tapes, about one inch per tape. This was taking over a foot of space on your shelf. Compare this to the recent Blu-ray set, Twin Peaks The Entire Mystery, which houses the entire series plus the movies and tons of extras in a couple inches. If you're a retailer, you needed to stock tons and tons of tapes. As you might imagine, this this alone made TV on home video formats a non-starter. Very free shows made it to VHS. Of the ones that did, they tended to have a low episode count or they didn't get sold to retail. The original Star Trek had a VHS release where for bonus dick move points, they only put one episode on a tape. (laughs) Star Trek had 79 episodes, 80 with the original pilot, so this was quite a commitment of shelf space. Some other shows, like Cheers or Bonanza, were only sold through the types of TV commercials where the end screen was blue with a yellow 1-800 number, and you bought them via subscription, like a Time Life Yeah, I remember Star Trek The Next Generation was released that Mm. way because there were commercials for it all the time. Despite all that, Twin Peaks saw VHS release from World Vision, but it was a mess. The original set was the first season, which was seven episodes, one per tape, at $100. (laughs) However, it did not include the pilot episode. This would be a Twin Peaks plague for a long time to come. You guys are well-versed with the saga of the pilot episode, but in case you read this on the air and someone who's unaware is listening, the short version is that Lynch and Frost went to Warner Brothers to secure the funding for the pilot episode in exchange for the rights to the episode, as well as to film a second ending to wrap the whole thing in a single movie they could sell to the European home video market in case the show didn't get picked up. This version did air in Europe at some point as a made-for-TV movie, so it's frequently dubbed the Euro pilot. This made it that any company who wanted to put out a set of the first season either had to pay WB for the rights of the first episode or release it without the first episode. This was prohibitively expensive or impossible, especially given the cult nature of the show, so the first VHS set didn't have it. WD rele- WB released a VHS tape of the Europilot in both Europe and America, the ending of which probably thoroughly confused anyone not familiar with the details. 
After the second season, a VHS set was released by World Vision with the 29 regular episodes of the show on six VHS tapes for $100. They put the tapes out using EP mode, which allowed six hours on a T120 tape. The trade-off was that the video quality was terrible. To say nothing of the annoyance involved with purchasing the first season a second time, I assume the first season sold well enough to merit this release, but the EP recording was done to cut down on materials cost or perhaps as a concession to retailers. Parallel to all of this, World Vision put out releases of the show on Laserdisc, segmented into four volumes at 125 a pop. Still no pilot episode, though again WB did release the Euro pilot on Laserdisc for another $35. When the DVD came around, Artisan controlled the home video rights to Twin Peaks, so they set out to release the show, and they were going to get the pilot episode as well. But they ran into the same rights issues as World Vision, so their release of the first season in 2001 did not contain the pilot episode, though it does have the commentary tracks, which as Jake has noted were never on another release. New Line Cinema then announced the release of the movie Fire Walk With Me on DVD, but wound up being a bare-bones release due to rights issues. Um, it was known for many years David Lynch had filmed a lot of scenes that didn't make it in the final film, and these scenes were long considered the holy grail for Twin Peaks fans, although Lynch has reportedly stated that the version released in theaters was his director's cut and no other scenes needed to be in a film. In 2001, a DVD surfaced for sale from a company called Catalyst Logic in Taiwan, where the rules around copyright are a little more muddled. Uh, it had the original pilot as it was aired in 1990 on ABC, so not the Euro pilot. Its origins are unknown as it is clearly taken from a source other than someone having videotaped it off of ABC, but the video quality leaves a lot to be desired. It that was, was the bootleg that I had in the early 2000s. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. It was a PAL DVD, PAL being the te- television standard in parts of Europe and Asia, with no region encoding, so if you had an NTSC player, the standard used in USA and Japan, amongst others, that could play PAL discs, it worked, but it played about 1 or 2% too fast, so the pitch of voices and such was a tiny bit off. Still, it was the only way to watch the pilot at the time on any home video format. I've seen reports that it was going for hundreds of dollars, but I bought a copy from a Hong Kong reseller off eBay in 2001 for about $20. How'd you get yours, Jake? Uh, I think my housemate at the time had downloaded it off of like a piracy Usenet f- service or something. Like It was like mm-hmm. a... It was like a a, a VCD rip of the PAL DVD right. or something because it was just impossible to obtain in the United mm-hmm. States. But my friends who lived on the East Coast had been had become obsessed with Twin Peaks, uh, okay, so yeah. I could not get a copy of the VHS. Oh, I also ended up seeing the Euro pilot inadvertently before that and was confused to all hell. Yeah, I think sure. I talked about yeah, it on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he continues following the season one release. Artisan ran into issues with the second season, combined with less than anticipated sales of the first season. And as a result, the second season didn't come to DVD until 2007 when some rights expired and CBS released the set. Uh, finally, most if not all the issues with the show on DVD were addressed when, oh, uh, CBS, which ironically now owned the ABC aired show due to lots of rights maneuvers over the years. Finally, most if not all the issues with the show on DVD were addressed when in 2007, Twin Peaks, the definitive gold box edition was released. It contained all episodes of the TV show and for the first time, both the Euro pilot and the original pilot on DVD, as well as tons of extras, including the Log Lady intros from when the show aired on Bravo, directed by David Lynch. The thing it didn't, the only thing it didn't happen with the movie, but no one seemed to mind. Well, Last, this, I think this, the gold box edition is also where like the Netflix rips like, and like that was mm, the first like not crappy transfer right, of Twin right, Peaks, right. I feel like. Yeah, I think you were correct about that. Finally, last year, the, the Blu-ray box set Twin Peaks, The Entire Mystery, was released. It has all episodes in HD for the first time, the movie in HD for the first time, and the deleted scenes from the movie build as the missing pieces for the first time. The only things it doesn't have from the gold box are Saturday Night Live skit from when Kyle MacLachlan hosted in 1991 or so, and the music video for Falling. Also, it doesn't have the commentaries from the Artisan box, but that's pretty thorough nonetheless. The only problem now is that if the issues with the Showtime Twin Peaks ever get resolved, it would no longer be The Entire Mystery. It's <laughs> True. <laughs> 
If Twin Peaks were a show today, it would be on DVD within a year of airing. It would be on iTunes and Netflix. And in the worst case scenario, the pirate community would take up the slack if the networks didn't give consumers what they want. But none of that existed in 1990 and 1991. And the best anyone could do for years were VHS tapes and bootleg DVDs. It wasn't until the gold box in 2007 that most of the home video issues were resolved, some 16 or 17 years after the show aired. And the proper treatment of the movie wasn't done until 2014, some 22 years after the film was released. So now we have Twin Peaks basically where and how we want it, and today's viewers will just power through the slow parts of Season 2, which makes me wonder if Netflix would be a better fit for Season 3 than Showtime. I'm not sure if the current scuttlebutt around Season 3 is a big deal or not, since Twin Peaks fans have had, a, have had to learn to be patient. Anyway, I thought I'd regurgitate all that. I've been meaning to for the run of your rewatch show, and I'm just now getting to it. Keep up the good work, and if you feel like extending out the podcast for a few minutes to discuss the Euro pilot, the missing pieces, or any of the other extras from the Blu-ray set, I wouldn't mind, and probably neither would anyone else. Thanks, and keep up the good work, Tom Kidd. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> P.S. If you want the commentary tracks from that now out of print season one DVD set, I'm sure something can be arranged. Um, okay, that was a longer email than I expected, uh, but it was quite informative. Yeah, it... I was not a. I didn't watch Twin Peaks when it was on TV, but for like, in the like early and mid '90s, I was really into Mystery Science Theater 3000, mm-hmm. and that show for had like, the most complicated rights issues of all time because they just watched other people's movies as part of the show, and all all hearing all this stuff just reminded me of the fact that or just of early internet. TV show, VA, like home recording, bootlegging, and trading communities, which was basically the only way that anyone was able to actually watch any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's strange how different all that stuff is at this point. Yeah. Uh, well, he's got another email about Macintoshes as props, but I think since that first one was so long, I'll save that for a future reader mail section. Okay. Um, so if you uh, would like to send us an email about the season, the series finale, um, please do at twin peaks at idle thumbs.net. Uh, after that, we will be discussing the movie fire walk with me. And so if you have any comments about that, please also send them in. Uh, I'm looking forward to these next two episodes quite a lot. I am too. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Um, and you know, as, as the reader asked in that email, you know, or to his, to his question, I should say, we've, we've talked about the notion of doing, you know, one or two wrap like up episodes, about special the features and like and, yeah. cultural spinoff of twin mm-hmm. peaks and stuff. That'd be fun. I think if we have some good ideas, so if you have any ideas about that stuff, you'd like us to talk about, um, go ahead and send those in as well to twin peaks at idle thumbs.net. Uh, I think that would be, that would be a fun thing to do kind of a low key couple episodes to, to wrap it up. Um, and yeah, other than that, if you have been enjoying the show for its almost entire complete run, um, why not rate us on iTunes? We really appreciate it. And if you if you have any friends who have dropped off listening as as we kind of got through the the big middle section, uh, let them know that we're coming up on the finale and the movie. I know a lot of people who like Twin Peaks a lot either haven't seen the film or are not crazy about the film. And Jake and I are definitely both fans of the movie. So I think that this will be an interesting um, discussion, you know, between us, but then also on the forums. And through reader mail and, you know, on, on just around, uh, I'll be curious to see what, what this discussion's like. So thanks for listening. You can find us at twinpeaksrewatch.com. All of our information is there. And, uh, thanks for, for sticking with us so long. Yep. See you next week.